can go ahead and come forward uh, for offering. A uh, couple things. Really would hope, uh, would love to see you all at the congregational meeting this evening. It's amazing to consider just when you're in the moment, it's hard to really think about everything that God has done uh, over the last year. And so it's really one of the most encouraging times to just look back and to consider, yeah, God really has been at work in the life of our church. And it is really sweet to be together and to enjoy one another and to praise God. So what tonight is really is uh, we're praising God for his faithfulness to our church for another year and praying for another faithful year, which we know he has always been faithful for 2024. And so I hope you can join us and make that a priority and come and participate and love one another and uh, partake in what God's doing. So come, I'm ready to learn and praise God. All right, so this morning, Galatians uh, chapter 5, the message this morning really boils down to one thing, and that is, what is your view of Jesus? What is your view of Jesus and what he's done? My hope is that you will recognize that knowing Christ and submitting to him is the most advantageous thing that you can do, right? It's the greatest blessing you can have. Because that all depends on who God is to you, right? If God is the Lord of all, then you cannot be neutral in your approach towards God. Either he is your Lord and Savior, and he has blessed you beyond what you deserve, and he is the main thing in your life, or he's of no advantage to you at all. There is no in-between. There is no in-between to how you approach God. Christ is either your all or he's nothing at all. Is this how you approach your relationship with him, though? My fear is that many of you, many of us, have grown complacent and have instead turned to Christ simply as an addition or a side pursuit. Maybe you've started looking to other things instead of Christ to bring you satisfaction. But this morning is a call to return for Christ to be the main thing. For Christ to be all, sufficient, all that your soul needs. He is the only one that matters. And this matters greatly because if you don't understand this, there's a great cost. We'll see that we'll be separated from Christ. I can't think of a worse thing than to be separated from your creator, your maker. If you reject this, you will die in your sins, unable to fulfill the requirements that the law poses upon you. But if you cling to Christ, and if he is your all, all of his advantages are yours by faith. And that's a wonderful promise. So really this morning, the call is just don't make Christ unprofitable. Do not make Christ unprofitable to you. Let's read and pray. Galatians 5 verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Let us pray. Father, there is no greater warning that we would be severed from you. And Father, this morning we recognize that 
There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing our flesh, our strength can do to bring ourselves near to you because we know that we owe a great penalty. And so, Father, we stand completely at your mercy. We depend on you to save us and to bring us near and to keep us there. Father, would you help us to see you clearly this morning? Would you help us to see the great advantages that come as a result of following you, that we would not be slack in our duties as Christians and that we would know you truly as the Lord of our lives, the one who has paid it all. Would you be with us this morning as we consider you and as we seek you and may we find you? In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 2. Look, I, Paul, okay, he's trying to get their attention. This is important. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Okay, what does it mean by accepting circumcision? It's Paul saying that anyone who has been circumcised is not saved. Is he saying that anyone who gets circumcised has lost all the benefits of Christ? No. What Paul is fighting against is putting confidence right in the flesh, in circumcision, in an act, in works. He is against trusting that good works will aid in your salvation. All right, how do we know that? Just look, verse 4, right? It's where he clarifies what he's talking about. You are severed from Christ. You who will be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So the point is, those who would be justified by the law, again, this is what the whole book of Galatians is about, you are severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. You cannot trust in your flesh. So Paul is not against the act of circumcision. He's not against good works, and neither should you be. But Paul is saying you cannot put any trust in those things. You cannot find any confidence whatsoever in works of the law to bring about your righteousness. We know that the Galatians started trusting in Christ. We know that they also became enemies of the gospel who started to deceive them to think that they could also rely on their efforts, that they can find confidence in Christ and their works. But again, where you put your confidence matters. If you put 90% of your confidence in Christ and then 10% in your own works, then that is not a God that can save you. Christ is, you're saying Christ's work is not sufficient to save you. That 10% here adds absolutely nothing to you. That's a problem because you're believing in an incomplete Savior, which is not Christ. Christ is a sufficient Savior. So it's not enough to put 90% of your confidence in Christ. It's not enough to put 99% of your confidence in Christ and 1% in anything else. You cannot accept, accept circumcision even as a side thing, even as 1% of your salvation. If you do that, Christ will be of no advantage to you. All right, the point of this whole message is Christ is either your all or he's nothing at all. You're going to hear me say that over and over again. Christ is either your all or he's nothing at all. And we all fall short of this. 
But this is the call this morning to return to that and to remember His place in your heart and in all of creation. So you can't say that, well, I'll trust in Christ and do the right things, but, you know, just in case, like, there's a little bit of maybe this is not quite it, maybe I'll also kind of do these other things just to make sure that I'm a good enough person that if this is not right, then I'll still fall in good graces, right? No, either Christ has paid for it all or for nothing at all. There's no in-between. This is one of the main points where the Catholic Church is wrong. This is one of the main points where the Eastern Orthodox Church is wrong. Again, many in the world would claim that you have to have faith, but also that good works are essential. And so they would accuse us of being not consistent, of not being consistent, because you say, well, you also want to see works, right? And we do want to see good works. We're not against them. The problem and the question is, what gives you life? What gives you life? Those works don't give you life. They might prove your life in Christ, but they don't give you life. Only Christ can give you life. And faith is the instrument that God uses that applies Christ's work to us. So that means that someone like Timothy may choose to get circumcised as a Gentile to show his faith in Christ, right? But the act itself saves absolutely nobody. So all of your confidence must be in Christ. Now, have you ever considered, I'm just a little bit of an aside, but why is that so important to God? Like, have you ever considered just why does this matter so much? Like, this whole book, we've been talking, you know, for months now about faith alone and then nothing else but just in Christ alone. Why is that so important to God? Why, why is 99% not enough to God? You know, I feel like maybe we would all, if your spouse's affections were 99% given to you, we would all be pretty happy. Why is it such a big deal to God? Well, a couple of reasons. God is jealous for his glory. Everything that he does is for his glory. He made the whole universe to display his glory. He made you to glorify him. So anything that falls short of glorifying God and he deserves more glory than you can give him robs glo- glory from Christ that is due only to him. So he is jealous for his glory. But too, because if you give credit to anything else, you're saying that God is not who he says he is. You're saying that God's not powerful to save. You're saying God's not good enough to want to save you. You're not knowing the true God, and God wants you to know him truly. He wants you to glorify him fully and know him truly. So that's why this matters so much. Nothing else can take the place that only God can fill. So do not accept circumcision. Do not accept works of the law. Do not put any trust in anything whether it be the approval of man or anything else, right? If you accept the approval of man as the basis for whether you're doing well with God or not, if your confidence before God is because of what someone else said about you or what reputation you have in the church or in this town, then Christ is not your all.
What man says about you ultimately is irrelevant to your salvation because no man but one can justify you. So don't live for the approval of men. Don't live for a good reputation. Don't live as if what people say or think about you will make any difference in the way that God deals with you. This ought to be a help when others come against us and say all sorts of evil against you. For the name of Christ, you can just shake it off because you know that Christ is your all. You may have a lot of friends who may think you're doing the right thing, you're walking the right path. You may have a lot of people say, I'll tell you, no, 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 you don't have to do that, you don't have to do that, you're doing fine. But what God says is what matters. And that should be freeing to all of us. You don't have to live for man's approval. Hey, you can apply last week's message. You are free in Christ. And one of the ways you're free in Christ is you don't have to worry about pleasing everybody. You found God the Father has been pleased with you because of what Christ has done. And that's amazing. So, one warning for you all this morning. Um, this week, it was, I don't know, kind of a strange week. I, as I was preparing my message, one of my, I think one of my weaknesses of preaching is bringing truths to life. So, illustrating things, I'm usually just not one to like think of good illustrations or run to them. Usually, I just try to stay away from them. Um, this week, for one reason or another, I have like 17 illustrations for you. Uh, so, maybe one of those 17 will stick with you, all right? But here's one illustration that just kept coming to mind when it comes to this topic of Christ being your all, putting your trust in nothing else, is the stock market. All right, let's think about this. One common strategy for investing is diversifying your investments, right? So you don't want to put all of your eggs in one basket. You don't want to put all of your money in one basket. If something happens to that one thing, you could lose all of your money. So you spread your investments right around. And so you mitigate risk. If one fails, well, maybe these other ones will actually counterbalance it. And so if this one fails, you actually will be in in an okay spot. Now, today, again, is not a message on wise investing. Like, I'm probably the last person. You should ask about that. Um, But the point is, this is not the way that it is with Christ and the things of God. You can't mix your confidence. You can't put eggs here and there and there and hope for the best. Either you put all of your confidence in Christ or you can't partake in his blessings. Okay, you can't put 90% of your assets in Christ and Christ's work and then expect to see his benefits. It's all or nothing. I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians. You can turn there if you want, but we're only going to be there for a minute or two. First Corinthians 15. This is what Paul says elsewhere. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. All right? If Christ has not been raised, if Christ is not able to raise the dead, to save your soul, to give you life, then me being here before you, preaching God's word, it's absolutely in vain. It's a waste of time. 
and it is a waste of your time to be sitting here if Christ is not who he says that he is, if he's not powerful to do this. Your faith is in vain if your Savior is not a complete Savior. Verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If Christ is not your all, your complete Savior, your faith is in vain. You are still in your sins. Verse 19, and if in Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Right? So if your hope is in Christ in this life, which means that there's no such thing as the resurrection of the dead, you're not living for the hope of righteousness that we'll see next week, then church, you are most to be pitied. You are most to be pitied among any other men. And that should be because your confidence rests fully on Jesus. And if he's not true, then you've wasted your time. But if it is true, there's no better investment. He's either all or nothing. Is that how you approach your relationship with God? Is that true for you? God wants all of your heart. God wants all of you, all of your life. He gave you life to glorify him. He doesn't just want part of it. He wants your full devotion. So let's, this is not true. Let's say tomorrow God came down and told you that Jesus never rose from the dead. Let's just say we, you knew with certainty that this is not true. How much of your life would change? If tomorrow you somehow knew that this wasn't true, how much of your life would change? Would it change drastically or would your life basically look the same? If Christ is your all, this can't be a minor adjustment. If your, life, your trust is in him, then your whole life should reflect that. As a Christian, you don't have a backup plan. All right, You don't have a backup plan. Christ is your all. It will no matter if you're a good person. If Christ is not who he says that he is, then there goes all your hope because he is your hope. And the reality is that a lot of you, a lot of all of us, me included, we live as if God is not our all, right? There's no one here who actually lives fully, perfectly this except for Christ. So if that's you, and it is you, don't live like this, all right? The call is to return to make Christ your all, to make him your first and foremost love. So would you stop and consider, just for a moment, would you just actually, for a second, stop and consider your life? And would you evaluate where your love for God is at this moment? Has your love for God grown cold? Have you allowed other things to be of greater? Have you allowed your affections to grow for other things greater than God? And as you evaluate, would you return to him? 
would you return to your Savior? Because He is gracious. He is gracious to forgive you. And He will draw near to you. He will draw near to you. The good news is that God's word is true. Okay, if you're in Christ, God's spirit has testified that to you in each of your hearts. And so now we can live as if everything depended on God because it does. If God wanted to come tomorrow and destroy this world, he could. Everything depends on him. Every breath that you take, every decision that you make, the life of your children, the souls of your children, all of it depend on God. So don't live as if any part of it depends on you or anybody else or any circumstance. Live as if you would lose everything if Christ's work was not able to save you. That's what we were made for, to live for God, to put all your eggs in this basket. That means the next time, right, that life throws a wrench at you, then... If you're standing with Christ, then you will not think that it depends on you, but on God. And so it's a lot freer to choose to trust God and not your own strength to change the outcome. But you can actually work and be free, not, not recognizing that it does not depend all on you. So you can try to serve God and please Him and recognize that the results are up to Him. When things get hard, you can actually rest in God's providence. keep going back to Galatians because there's a pretty stark statement there right if you accept circumcision Christ will be of no advantage to you like when you read that that should just be like whoa that's that pops out of the page right there what do you mean Christ will be of no advantage to you what does that mean primarily right we're talking we're thinking of salvation we're thinking about not putting any confidence in the flesh for our salvation, trusting in Christ. Primarily means that if your confidence is not in the work of Christ on the cross to pay for your penalty for your sins on the cross and raise again, then his work is not applied to you if you don't trust in him. So we're talking about eternal salvation. Jesus, his mission was to save you. That's what he came for. He came to save sinners. And so that is his primary advantage and main advantage, main blessing to you, is that he wants to confer upon you eternal salvation. So if you don't put your trust in him, what you're saying is Christ's work is no good for you. If you don't put your trust in him, you're making Christ unprofitable. But let's talk about the idea of Christ and his advantages for just a few minutes. Because many want to claim Christ for themselves. Many want to claim Christ for his benefits today. The world wants to do that. The world wants to claim Christ. We all see it. It's pretty common for unbelievers who know nothing of the Bible or who have a very shallow understanding. And they try to claim Christ and say, Jesus would be on my side of this moral issue and this moral issue. And so they want to say, Jesus would stand with me. Therefore, you should stand with me. They want to claim Christ and his advantages but you can't claim Christ to be on your side of whatever moral issue you're passionate about if you don't first submit to him. The world also desperately wants to claim Christ's salvation upon themselves while keeping Christ at bay. They want God to save everybody 
and they want to be able to do whatever they want. Right? They want the blessing of salvation. Everyone knows that they will die. Everyone who's not in Christ is terrified of what happens after they die. And so they appease themselves by saying, well, God must be a kind God, and so therefore I want his blessings, but I don't actually want to submit to him. But if you only claim Christ from a distance, afar, not actually want to get your hands dirty, not actually want to do the work, you can't be set free from your sins without bowing down to Jesus. Christ will be of no advantage to you. Many religions do the same thing too, right? They say, well, we serve this God and uh, we want to just, oh, Christ is one of the many deities you can serve. Or, oh, yeah, Jesus would have, you know, also agrees with us. Jesus is on our side. But you can't add Jesus. Jesus cannot be a side to your meal. He has to be the central, not even just the central piece. He has to be all of it. Christ needs to be your all. Because if he's not your old, you're doomed. No other God, no other man, no other work can do what Christ has done. You can't mix Jesus and anything else. All right, next illustration is if you're, let's say you're drowning in the ocean. You're in the middle of the ocean. You cannot see land anywhere around you. You're drowning. You're in trouble. And here comes a ship, a great ship that can come and rescue you. Right? Well, you still have two options. You can either accept the help and say, I cannot do this on my own. I want to get on that boat and completely not put any trust in myself. Or you have to say, nah, I'll swim and sink and die. Which, by the way, is what verse 3 kind of talks about. So verse 3, look at me there with me. I testify again to you, every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. All right, you can't just say you're going to obey half of the law and be made right with God. If you want to find your righteousness through the law, you would have to keep all of it. And you can't. The law cannot give you life. But Christ has actually paid for all of your sins. All right, not just the little sins that you think, oh yeah, great, God has forgiven me for my pride and for my selfishness. And for, but then, well, he can't forgive that other sin. That one sin that I'm thinking about, well, yeah, Christ is sufficient to pay for 75% of my sins, 99% of my sins, but surely he couldn't pay for that 1%, that one sin that I've done that is really bad. What you're saying is Christ is not all, and Christ is not sufficient. Either Christ has paid for all of your sins or for none of them at all. Don't make Christ unprofitable. Right? You cannot mix it match. You cannot get on the boat and then say, well, in order to help, I'm going to bring some water in and swim myself inside the boat to kind of help them do both. No, like the boat would sink. You have to do one or the other. There is no in-between. So don't live as if Jesus is just a good teacher. Don't live as if Jesus is just a prophet. Don't live as if he is just a moral example. You have to claim him as your Lord, the Lord of your life. So who is Jesus to you? Who is Christ that we're talking about this morning? That is the most important question you can ever ask yourself. 
Tomo claim, claim, and that's the question he asks his disciples too, right? Who do people say that I am? And many would say, well, he's a great prophet. He deserves some great honor. But he deserves all honor. If your answer is not, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, then you're severed from Christ. Do you, do you know Jesus? And do you know him fully and truly? Do you know him as he reveals himself in his word? Not just how you think he should be, but do you know him as he has actually revealed himself? Is the Jesus that you have in your mind the same Jesus that is explained in the Bible? Okay, what do I mean? Some of you only see Christ as a judge. And that's like his primary work is to judge you when you sin. He's ready to accuse you. Anytime you sin, anytime you fall short, he's ready to accuse and condemn. Is that all that Jesus is to you? You don't know the full Christ. Or do you see Christ as a harsh ruler who's only placing burdens upon your shoulders? I can't remember now if it's Rehoboam or Jeroboam that the people came and said, would you lighten our load and we will serve you? And he said, no, my father's pinky, my, my, my pinky is greater than my father's thigh and so I will add to your burden. Paraphrased. Is that who Jesus is to you? Is that who Christ is? Is that who God is to you? He's just adding burdens to you day after day. You don't know the true Christ. You don't know the fullness of him. Many of you see Jesus just like a distant acquaintance, right? Kind of like a friend that you used to know back in the day, but now moved away, and so you kind of touch base every so often to see how he's doing. You just hear from him from time to time. Many of you treat God like a father who you only go to for money. Right? When things are going well, God is out of sight, out of mind. But when you need help, you run to him because you know that he can give you the money that you need to get out of trouble. There's so much more to our Savior than this. All right, my plea to you, don't settle. Do not settle for a view of Jesus that is incomplete because that will just harm you for the rest of your life. Christ wants to be known fully and his advantage is to be conveyed upon you fully. There's so much joy in knowing your Savior. You will never exhaust knowing him. So when was the last time you actually sought to know your Savior, to know more of him and to praise him not just to run away from him. If you're harboring any of those attitudes toward God, the hope is God is so gracious to forgive you, right? When other people think wrongly of you, you, will, you, you get upset, and you're like, well, how can they you know, misjudge my character like that? But Christ is just so ready to come and help you understand him. It is his delight to be known by you, and he wants to help you. So turn to him, would you? Do you know Jesus?
do you know Jesus? You should long to know him. And that is whether you're not a Christian or that is whether you're, you've been a Christian for most of your life. Your goal as a Christian is to know him more. And that is what, and what matters most this morning is that I want you to know him as your Lord, the Lord of your life. Not just the Lord of all creation, not just the Lord of our church, not just the Lord of your family. I want him to, you to know him as the Lord of your particular life. Is he? Is he your Lord? If he is, right, what wouldn't you do for him, right? If he is your Lord, he is your maker, your creator, what wouldn't you do for him, right? If you recognize his position of authority over you, you consider then also not just that, so you already owe him everything, but then not just that, he's given of himself to you. Think of all that he has done and the price that he has paid to purchase your salvation. When you see those things, like, wouldn't you want to give your whole life to him? Wouldn't you want to serve him with all of your heart? Because even if you did that, it still would not be enough. This next illustration may hit a lot closer to home, but imagine that you had a child that was sick, terminally sick, right? And it was little answers. We don't know what could save your child. And let's say we figure out that there's an organ donation. There's somebody, there's one person in the whole world who's able to donate something to your child, a great cost to him, that would actually completely heal your child. Okay, this is a great cost. They would change the way that this guy lives for the rest of his life. And out of just willing to love you, even though he doesn't know you, he says, you know what, I will sacrifice of myself to be able to save your child. All right, what wouldn't you do in return? What wouldn't you do to make that happen? What wouldn't you do to thank him? Okay, there would be nothing that you could do that would, that like would just feel like too much in return for that. And that's what Christ has done for you. Even more than that, because not only are you an innocent bystander, you are his enemy. You were his enemy. And he gave his life for you. You, would do, you should want to do anything for your Savior. And you say that in your mind, you agree with it. I think a lot of us would say, well, yes, that makes sense logically. And yet we're just so sinful. You know that you all got everything. And then when it comes to it day to day, a lot of us struggle to give him 10 minutes of our lives to read his word, right? A lot of us struggle spending five minutes in prayer. A lot of us go through our day, and as we're falling asleep, we recognize, you know, I didn't even think about God today. This is our shame. We live as if Christ is not our all. We say Christ is our all, and yet many of us live. Many of you live as if Christ is not a part of your life. Many of you are willing to sacrifice more for your bosses or for your friends than you are to serve God. Okay, you actually see you're less inconvenienced by your friends 
than by God. But that can't be so, church. That just cannot be so. And if you're there, there's so much help that is found in him. Christ must be your all because you have nothing else. At the end of the day, it all boils down to the fact that you have nothing else if it's not for him. Your money will go away. Your friends will come. They'll go. They'll pass away. Those moments of enjoyment that you're experiencing now that you're looking forward to, they will turn into a distant memory. and You may not even remember true details about them. Your kids will move away. Your name one day will be forgotten by likely all. How many of us know the names of our great-great-great-great-grandparents? They're probably not really thought of anymore. Your name will one day be forgotten. What are you working for? The only thing you have that is lasting is Christ. Your whole life is meant to know him and glorify him. That is why he has put you on earth. So why would we make our lives about anything else? Why would we make our lives about anything lesser than the creator of the universe who loves you and who wants to draw near to you, who is ready to accept you to return even when you've spent years running away from him? So church, would you stop living for things that perish? And would you live for the one that truly matters? Would you confess your lack of love? Would you confess that you've sought other things? And would you repent, turn to him, and then trust him? All right? You don't just try harder on your own strength. That's putting confidence in the flesh. Would you trust that he is actually who he says he is? He is a gracious father who accepts the prodigal son when he returns with open arms. And as you trust him, you're free to serve him. You're free to serve him. Christ, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So let me ask you this. Is Christ valuable to you? Do you see following Christ as advantageous? Because the call, again, is not to make Christ unprofitable. Again, how do you do that? How do you make Christ unprofitable? One, if you think about last week and you think about the verse before, you make Christ unprofitable if you live as if you're not free. If you're still living in that jail cell, then the truth is you're not actually free. You're, you don't know him as your father with so many advantages. You are saying Christ's work is unprofitable to me. I must still remain in the jail cell. But there's so many advantages to following Christ. It is the best thing you can do. And many of you operate as if following Christ is a burden rather than a blessing. I know that because that's me too. You think that seeking God and obeying him are chores. They just need to be done in order to keep God happy. When that could be further away from the truth, right? In reality, living for God is full of blessings, full of advantages. 
Yes, following Christ will cost you. It will cost you, and it has cost many of you greatly. But when you consider what you get in return for all that you pay for, it's just not a question at all whether it's worth it or not. So what advantages come from following Jesus? He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good. He brings justice to his people. He does not deal with you according to your sins. Just a little glimpse right there from Psalm 103. And all the advantages of Christ, okay? How do you get Christ to be advantageous to you? How do you make Christ not unprofitable? By faith. Okay, all of these advantages are yours by faith. You can't manufacture them. You can't say, well, from now on, we're going to institute Christian rules in our, in our house, and, uh, but not submit to him, not submit to him. We're just going to put Christian rules in our house and just hope that everything will be solved. Okay, it might go better for a little bit, but it's just shallow. All of Christ's advantages are yours by faith. If you put your trust in anything else, Christ will be of no advantage to you, but I want Christ to be of full advantage to you. All of it comes by faith. Also, there's no in-between in how he deals with you, right? There is no such thing as an unblessed Christian. Either you are in him and all of his blessings are yours, or you're separated from him. There's no both. There's no in-between. And when you're sitting there in your room and you recognize, well, how can I really be sure that I will not be separated from Christ, that I will not be severed from Christ, like verse 4 says? How can I know? How can I know that I will not fall away from grace? By faith. You trust in him, despite what your eyes see, despite what your hearts desire. Because knowing Christ is the most advantageous blessing you can possess. A true knowledge of God brings freedom. A true knowledge of God brings security. Knowing God truly is the key to everlasting joy. He is the friend who's always faithful and able to help. So when you consider all of his benefits, why wouldn't you want to know him? And your soul should want to bless the Lord as you consider all of his benefits. The world doesn't have these benefits. Many will die without experiencing the blessings and the joy that it is to follow and to know Christ. So my hope is that you will take this seriously. Many will die in their sin with no hope, with no comfort, and no real reason to rejoice. But if Christ is your all, you are free. It doesn't matter if everyone turns against you. It doesn't matter if your body fails. It doesn't matter if you lose all earthly things. Because you have Christ, and that is far, far better. So, when your husband is completely incapable of helping you emotionally and help you carry those burdens, you have Christ. And Christ is far better. When you feel like you are all alone in this world and there is no companion, there is no better companion 
than the one who made you and knows you. Trust in him as the only one who can comfort you. And when your trials feel insurmountable, recognize that your Savior is victorious over all. There is no thing that your Savior will not be victorious over. So you can be confident, church, that nothing can cause you to despair because you have the greatest portion. Christ is yours, and no one or nothing can take that from you. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that none of us live as if you are our all. Father, forgive us for wanting to make other things of greater importance than you. Forgive us for thinking only of ourselves and the things that our body needs. My prayer this week, Lord, is that we would find you and that we would actually take the work and to recognize that we have we've all fallen slack of what it means to live for you and that we would not make you unprofitable, that we would not put our confidence in anything but you, that when our heart wants to run about to other things, it's likely because we're putting confidence in the flesh. So, Father, I pray that we would not accept anything but you and the full you, that we would know you and that we would know your advantages and that we would seek you and pursue you and find you. I pray that our prayer lives would be full of joy and thanksgiving. I pray that our relationships with others would reflect the love that you have shown us as we know it and as we meditate on it. May we be people that recognize that you have paid it all. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.